in honor and recognition of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, uh, we wanted to share more than just the uh, what you tend to see around this time of the year, which are a lot of memes, you know, the kind of internet posters with a little slogan uh, uttered by Martin Luther King Jr., which are always uh, poignant and compelling. But uh, we thought uh, we would like to share some more extended passages uh, from this consequential uh, civil rights leader and pastor uh, whose words uh, changed the world of his day and continue to echo into our day. Uh, so we are going to read some selections, uh, the better part of uh, his sermon, uh, The Drum Major Instinct, which was preached just two months prior to Exactly uh, his assassination, months. exactly to the exactly day. Exactly to the day, exactly, two, months. Uh, two months. prior to his death, which gives these words their own kind of uh, relevance and resonance. Uh, the picture we see on the screens, in fact, is of him preaching this very sermon on that very day. You can find it online and listen and watch for yourself. Uh, so shall we hear uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. And as we do... Um, we just ask you to open your mind and think about the context in which we all gather and let uh, this prophetic preacher speak also to us. So Martin Luther's preaching on, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s preaching on this text that Nora read for us this morning from Mark's Gospel about James and John. So that was a part of our um, text that we read over the last year. It was in Mark. Mark was last year in the lectionary. And so you may have heard one of us preach on this very text last year. Um, but we knew we wanted to, uh, preach this sermon, the drum major instinct this morning. And so we, um, put that same text in front of you so you could hear the text before, uh, the words of Dr. King. So here, let us begin. The setting is clear. James and John are making a specific request of the master. They had dreamed, as most of the Hebrews dreamed, of a coming king of Israel who would set Jerusalem free and establish his kingdom on Mount Zion and in righteousness rule the world. And they thought of Jesus as this kind of king. And they were thinking of that day when Jesus would reign supreme as the new king of Israel. And they were saying, now when you establish your kingdom, let one of us sit on the right hand and the other on the left hand of your throne. Now very quickly, we would automatically condemn James and John and we would say they were selfish. Why would they make such a selfish request? But before we condemn them too quickly, let us look calmly and honestly at ourselves, and we will discover that we too have those same basic desires for recognition, for importance, that same desire for attention, that same desire to be first. Of course, the other disciples got mad with James and John, and you could understand why, but we must understand that we have some of the same James and John qualities. And there is deep down within all of us an instinct. It's a kind of drum major instinct. A desire to be out front. A desire to lead the parade. A desire to be first. And it is something that runs the whole gamut of life. 
And so before we condemn them, let us see that we all have the drum major instinct. We all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. Alfred Adler, the great psychoanalyst, contended that this desire for distinction is the basic impulse, the basic drive of human life. And you know, we begin early to ask life to put us first. Our first cry as a baby was a bid for attention. And all through childhood, the drum major impulse or instinct is a major obsession. Children ask life to grant them first place. They are little bundles of ego and they have innately the drum major impulse or the drum major instinct. Now in adult life, we still have it and we never really get by it. We like to do something good and you know, we like to be praised for it. Now, if you don't believe that, just go on living life and you will discover very soon how much you like to be praised. Everybody likes it, as a matter of fact. And somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or when our name is in print is something of a vitamin A to our ego. Nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they don't, even if they know they don't deserve it or if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when the praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of this real drum major instinct. There comes a time that the drum major instinct can become destructive. And that's where I want to move now. I want to move to the point of saying that if this instinct is not harnessed, it becomes a very dangerous, pernicious instinct. And when one fails to harness this instinct, he ends up trying to push others down in order to push himself up. And whenever you do that, you engage in some of the most vicious activities. You will spread evil, vicious, lying, gossip on people because you are trying to pull them down in order to push yourself up. And the great issue of life is to harness this drum major instinct. And when you don't harness the drum major instinct, this uncontrolled aspect of it, it leads to snobbish exclusivism. And you know, this can happen with the church. I know churches get in that bind sometimes. I've been to churches, you know, and they say, we have so many doctors and so many school teachers and so many lawyers and so many businessmen in our church. And that's fine because doctors need to go to church and lawyers and businessmen and teachers they ought to be in church. But they say that even the preacher sometimes will go all through that. They say that as if the other people don't count. And the church is the one place where a doctor ought to forget they're a doctor. The church is the one place where a PhD ought to forget that they're a PhD. The church is the one place that the school teacher ought to forget the degree they have behind their name. 
The church is the one place where the lawyer ought to forget that they're a lawyer. And any church that violates the whosoever will let them come doctrine is a dead, cold church. And nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. When the church is true to its nature, it says, whosoever will, let them come. And it does not suppose to satisfy the perverted uses of the drum major instinct. It's the one place where everybody should be the same, standing before a common master and savior. And a recognition grows out of this that all our brothers and sisters, because they are children of a common father. The drum major instinct can lead to exclusivism in one's thinking and can lead one to feel that because he has some training, he's a little better than that person who doesn't have it. Or because she has some economic security, she's a little better than that person that doesn't have it. And that's the uncontrolled, perverted use of the drum major instinct. What was the answer that Jesus gave to James and John? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, You are out of your place. You are selfish. Why would you raise such a question? But that isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He said, in substance, Oh, I see. You want to be first. You want to be great. You want to be important. You want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it or pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling that need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And Jesus transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it. He said, now... Brothers and sisters, I can't give you greatness, and really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. You want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be Great. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. 
You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. I know a man, and I want to talk about him a minute, and maybe you'll discover who I'm talking about as I go down the way, because he was a great one, and he just went about serving. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a poor peasant woman. And then he grew up still in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he just got on his feet and was an itinerant preacher. He went about doing some things. He didn't have much. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a house. He never went to college. He never went more than 200 miles from where he was born. He did none of the usual things that the world would associate with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. They called him a rabble-rouser. They called him a troublemaker. They said he was an agitator. He practiced civil disobedience. He broke injunctions. And so he was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. And the irony of it all is that his friends turned him over to them. One of his closest friends denied him. Another of his friends turned him over to his enemies. And while he was dying, the people who killed him gambled for his clothing, the only possession that he had in the world. When he was dead, he was buried in a borrowed tomb through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he stands as the most influential figure that ever entered human history. All of the armies that ever marched, all of the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. His name may be a familiar one. But today I can hear them talking about him. And every now and then somebody says he's king of kings. And again I hear somebody saying he's lord of lords. Somewhere else I hear somebody saying in Christ there is no east or west. And they go on and talk about in him there is no north or south. But one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide world. He didn't have anything. He just went around serving and doing good. This morning, you can be on his right hand and on his left hand if you serve. It's the only way in. Every now and then, I guess, we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is called life's final common denominator. That's something we call death. We all think about it. 
And every now and then I think about my own death and I think about my own funeral. And I don't think about it in a morbid sense. But every now and then I ask myself, what is it I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then, when I wonder what I want them to say, tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That, that isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. It's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention on that day, that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. We must go. Live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward. Keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go. Singing